It's made me realise, actually, Matt, what is my happy place, what I love to do, which is I love a party. I love to feed friends. My husband jokes I'm afraid of being alone with him. You're listening to The Taste Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Odette Williams is the author of Simple Cake and Simple Pasta and delivers on each book's lofty promise that baking cake and hand-rolling pasta can be simple. In this episode, we dive into Odette's newish found love of pasta and how she didn't make her first pasta dough, or as she calls it, batter, until she was 40. We talk about making home cooking accessible and go over some of the most underrated and overrated pasta sauces in the canon. I hope you enjoyed this talk with one of my favorite authors around. Odette Williams, welcome to the Taste Podcast. Oh, thanks, Matt. It's, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's great to have you back. You were here a few years back, and we were talking about um, simplicity of baking and cakes, and now you've moved on to, to pasta, and I have to ask from the jump, you, you didn't make a pasta dough until you were 40. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's. it sounds like then writing a cookbook about making pasta, it sounds like there's part of your own journey in the book. Totally. I mean, I had... I say in the book, I had come to the altar of pasta (laughs) (laughs) my entire life. And I could not believe that I had not made my own pasta until I was 40. And then I, and I'm, I'm a good cook. So I was like, if I, if this is me, then there's so many others that are in the same camp. So I need, I need, I've got something to teach. I've got something to share because it was such a huge unlock when I did it. And it was such a joyous thing to discover later on in life and I was like, I need to share this. Yeah, and I love the fact that you are, you know, writing a, writing about pasta, but not from like the chef point of view, because I feel like all pasta books up until this point have been like written from a chef, because even though the chefs have written simple this, simple that, or it's not, I mean, it's from chefs, but let me ask you, how do you, how is the book when in it, when you're in the pages, how's it different from the many great pasta books that are out there? Well, I love that you kind of recognize that from the get-go too because that was what my editor, Kelly Snowden, said to me is that she was like, listen, I think your superpower is making the seemingly complicated simple. And rather than tackling like the mastery of something, it's just like, let me just get you going. Let me, let's just make this as approachable as possible And so I think you'll find in the pages a really condensed, approachable, forgiving, kind, you know, like invitation to come, come with me and give making homemade pasta a crack. But also I've got to say within the same breath, within the book, I get it on those nights when you cannot be bothered to make homemade pasta and you can reach for store-bought and I give you those options. Yeah. So they're both there. So I think it's um, it's not being so dogmatic 
about yeah. the approach. Yeah, I think chefs can also be quite that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> shout out to Kelly Snowden, by the way. Oh, what an editor. Don't talk to us, Kelly, enough here on the show. Got to have her on. What's oh. it like working with Kelly from 10 Speed? She, she is a dream editor because I, I mean, I, I say that we're like kindred food spirits. <laughs> she, she was the one who kind of put me on this path, funnily enough, because I was, I knew on my next book I wanted to do savory. But I, you know, I wasn't quite there yet on the premise. And then um, I was saying to you earlier, we moved to San Francisco for three years. Mm-hmm. And during that move and in that transition, I was making a lot of homemade pasta because everyone, my kids and my husband, were all new. We we're all a little bit unsettled, not feeling at home. And this was something that was just grounding me. It was grounding everyone. And Kelly saw this and she was like, Odette. That it's right in front of you, <laughs> like it's it's simple pasta, <laughs> and I'm just, the moment she said it, I was like, of course, yeah. like, um, so Kelly is, and I mean, I think not only does she have a knack for having a sense of what what's needed, she has such a lovely, delicate touch with my words and how she shapes the book. And for that, I'm eternally grateful because she doesn't come in with a sledgehammer and she really just comes in with just the right, the right amount of kind of, you know, know how. Absolutely terrific book editor. Yeah. Kelly Snowden shouts. Now let's get into simple pasta though. I mean, I want to know, I I feel, uh, you know, you've got your machines, you've got your pins, you've got your, your flour, um, what is the biggest hang-up we have from making fresh pasta weekly, which I think is prescriptive in the book? I think you say, yeah, there are nights when you can't make it, sure, but you're saying basically you can make it every week. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the biggest obstacle is me convincing you, and this is what I really hope the book does, that, oh, my goodness, you can have this cranked in an hour. You can have fresh fettuccine, you know, um, and really all you need is you just need one lesson. Yeah. One lesson to get a handle on, oh, okay, this is what I need. I just need, and I, you know how I kind of break it down for people that I think makes it more approachable. I think the word dough is intimidating. Mm-hmm. Let's ignore dough. Let's just call it a batter. Mm-hmm. You know, like we're just mixing wet and dry and we're going to roll it into a ball that feels like Play-Doh. And then we're going to roll it as thin as we can and we're going to cut it. Yep. And then you're going to throw it in water and you're good. <clears throat> and then you're going to boil it in water and it's going to take minutes, yeah. not yeah. eight minutes, two minutes. Yeah. You know, so I, I try and break it down like that. So it's more Love like it. what else What else have you done in your life in the kitchen that is similar? Um, when you're rolling out pasta, um, how thin does it have to be? And I guess the second part is do we use a pasta machine or do we use the pin? Oh man, I've got a I've got a funny story. So yeah. the the first time I actually attempted it, I um, my husband thinks I'm crazy because I'll have people over and I'll attempt new recipes all the time, and I'm quite I, I quite happily fail in front of. Oh people. my gosh, I I feel like that's uh, it's almost like uh, you're asking for trouble by by bringing a new recipe for friends. No, like t- a dinner party. I, I mean, the problem is now, like now that I write, you yeah. know, these cookbooks, there's a certain like expectation around my cooking, but Ugh. but I want to continue to be kind of like fearless and fail. Love it. And um and and so one time I I I did I. I 
just on a whim went, I want to make homemade pasta. And then I ran into a friend in Union Market, an mm-hmm. old supermarket yeah. in, our, in our neighborhood. In our neighborhood, and, old um, neighborhood, yeah. <laughs> and I said, oh, have you got a pasta making machine? <laughs> so <laughs> she, she dropped it into my house and then my friends came over. We started rolling it and, and I didn't roll it thin enough. And so we joked. And luckily I'd made a roast chicken as well and some salad so I had backup but we joked and we called them pasta steaks yeah so that's the question like how do you get it thin then I mean you you need that you can use a KitchenAid attachment yep. you can get your own standalone pasta machine you can I mean look honestly I think the, the easiest way to do it is to buy you know for 60 bucks buy a hand cranked pasta machine you mm. can take it anyway you can take it to friends houses to vacation yeah. houses it's so portable they cost nothing and all you know is just take it to the end, take it, you know, take it down to six or eight on the, on the machine. And I mean, and then when you get, it's funny, once you do it a couple of times, yeah. there's like, then you get a sense of like, oh, okay, I got it. And so when I'm making a lasagna, I want those sheets to be as thin as possible. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I'm doing like a fettuccine, I will, you know, I want still some toothsomeness to it. But, um, but yeah, you really, it, it, it doesn't take long for you to figure it out, but I don't recommend rolling it by hand at first yeah. because it really is a skill. And, you know, you can oh, – look, if if we were in a cabin, Matt, uh, on an island, we only had a bottle of wine to roll the, the, yeah. the pasta, we'd do it. Yeah. And what I'd do is I'd break the dough up into smaller pieces mm-hmm. and just really try and, like – you know, muscle it out. But getting that hand crank machine is really the first step. I think there's certain books that fetishize um, or um, articulate the pin as the only way uh, to do it, but you're not saying that. No, look, I, I, I think for the, the, the cook that I'm trying to reach, um, I want you to have, you know, success very quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that it really is. It's a craft. It's a you know, it takes it takes a lot of lot of hours. Can you break down the different styles of pasta that you can make from this universal dough? Um, you know, you've got your your fettuccines and your spaghettis, but you've also got like orchetta and ones yeah. you shape with spoons and mm-hmm. paddles, and that's that's my biggest thing because I I think I can probably nail linguini, but then like the other shapes, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm as good. But yeah, can I get there? Yeah, you know what. I, the way that the book is structured is you've got the doughs in the front, you've got some master sauces, and then you have these seasonal recipes mm. where you have, you know, like I, I just describe it like a blackboard menu. Just everything on it is killer. And then, okay, if you want to tackle the homemade pastas, I say start at gnocchi. Start at potato gnocchi. Love because that. essentially it's mashed potato with some parmesan cheese in there, egg to bind it together, a bit of flour, and then you roll it into a ball, you roll it into snakes and you cut it up and put it in boiling water. Yeah. Ricotta gnocchi is even simpler. You know, it's really just fresh ricotta and egg and flour and cheese. Yeah, I love ricotta gnocchi making that at home. It's fun. So good. And then and then I would say then, you know, the, the Rolls Royce of pasta is the egg dough, you know, yeah. so that's where you want to go next. And then I think if you really want to geek out, that's where you head to the semolina doughs, where you get the orecchetti, the cavatellis. Mm-hmm. They're actually simpler. The dough is simpler to make because you don't need to roll it out. But I think that 
The store-bought version of semolina is so good Mm -hmm. that it's very hard to compete with that. But you are going to squeal with delight when you roll your first orichetti. And it might take you a couple of turns on the board with you and your your bread knife, but you'll get there. As you said, it takes one or two times to... To, to get it into like your your the fibers of your body like the muscle mm-hmm. memory mm-hmm. but then once you do it you're kind of there it's like baking something it's like baking a, a cake or a cookie that you've done a few times right you're it's, there it's just like riding a bike yeah like you're yeah. kind of like you know or skiing you know let's talk about sauces because I think the the book is not just about making pastas but you're like putting together the meal which I love about your books it's it's holistic um all right so first off the most underrated pasta sauce that you've encountered? Odette, <laughs> what are you thinking? Oh, you know what? I would say the most underrated is a homemade passata with a knob of butter and yeah. some fresh basil. And that's why I have it in the book because that is the ultimate of simplicity. That is when you're really just like leaning on. Take us through the recipe. So essentially it's um, it's it's great tomatoes at the end of summer. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can get your hands on the early girls in California. Mm-hmm. And then you, I like to roast them with a bit of garlic and yep. salt and pepper. And then you just put it through, you know, like a mouli and it becomes the, the essentially the canned tomato sauce, a yep. red sauce. But when you actually make it and... You know, you can put some garlic in there if you want, you know, mm. just some sprigs of, like, parmesan, but the just a knob of butter in mm. there. And then when you've got fresh, like, fettuccine, I mean, mm-hmm. that is freaking living. Like. <laughs> yeah, I think a, fre- a fresh <laughs> pasta sauce with butter is is definitely underrated. I think we, we, we think about olive oil as being our only kind of fat in, in pasta making we often lean to the southern part of Italy, but man, butter is amazing in pasta. Well, that's why I have in the in the I think the very first recipe is good pasta, good butter. End of story. Yeah, like that. If you make your own homemade pasta, if you have some good good butter, oh my goodness. I know. So overrated. I, I have to ask because you 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 have a point of view and a take. What what are, what are we overrating here? I mean. <laughs> I think the uh, this is a really hard. I know question. you don't want to like dog on like I a pasta know, sauce. I know because like, I feel it's like it's pure joy. But I do think. Look, here's what I'm going to say: is I think there's a lot of overrated bottled red sauces. Okay. So, and I'm all for grabbing a bottle of red sauce too. Like I'm not opposed to that. If you have put all your energy in and you beat, I would get a bottle of um, Rouse red sauce or some yeah. other kind of great. One, because I think that there's a lot of stuff on there that I'm like, eh, I'm not sold. Yeah, spend a little more. I like the meatball shop. My buddy Dan Holzman makes a nice like pasta jarred sauce that's like a little more, but yeah, I agree with you. The, yeah. the ones that are like the some of the, 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 the commodity ones, you know, you spend a few more extra dollars if you're going that route is worth it. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I just, I think basil pesto, man, I'm just not. I, I like pistachio mm-hmm. and lemon centric pestos, mm-hmm. like nut pestos, but just the basil. I don't know. That's why I have five pestos in the book. Right, there are many ways to pesto because it just I think that, and it's a great way to honestly get vegetables in children. 
<laughs> it's Sneak, true. Sneakily. Yeah, it, it, it's good. Um, wait, you have a background in theater mm-hmm. and acting. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've been watching TV and there seems to be quite a few like food related dramas mm-hmm. on television. What's your background? What, what were you up to? I know it's so crazy. I, I've got a funny life. I, I went to drama school is what I trained in, mm-hmm. in university. I was doing theater back in Sydney. I used to teach it at Australian Theatre for Young People and at NIDA. And and then I met my husband uh, in a bookstore in Sydney. Is he Australian? He's Australian, but yeah. he was living in New York. Got it. And uh, he convinced me to move to New York. And it's funny, it was, I was like in my late 20s. And it was at a time where it'd be like, what? You're moving to New York and you're going to stop acting? I was like, I just reached this point where I was like, I was not, getting the reward that I wanted Mm -hmm. from it. And I'd always been completely food obsessed. And so it's funny, it's a long convoluted story. I had kids and, you know, food has always been kind of this main thread and I've always been attracted to like food content. And, and I feel like honestly, there's been like people like Nigel Slater and, you know, cooks that have been in my life and I feel like they've been my friends even though they're mm-hmm. not like Ina, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've always been attracted to stories around food and and so it's interesting there's kind of like a bit of a full circle moment that's happening for me because I'm developing, I'm in this development phase with a show right now. So um, it would be really lovely marriage of my two worlds colliding here. Yeah. You like doing camera work? You like being in the front, in front of the camera? Well, I think what's really great about camera is compared to the written word is that you can teach very efficiently there and I can probably motivate you and excite you a lot faster than opening up a page. Yeah. I think our uh, the way that we consume um, content has changed a lot. And I remember when when the, when my kids were young, I would sit down and watch cooking shows with them and they would just kind of chill out and mm-hmm. I would chill out and I would just be like, oh, my God, I want to eat that. Yeah. Like, I got to make that. You know, and then eventually I would, you know, make one of the things that I'd seen. And, and I do think also, too, we've just gone through this period where – and this is part of what Simple Pasta was. And we went to Sicily to shoot it, and which was amazing. Yeah. I think we are dying for a good time. I think we are dying for pleasure. And, and I want to just live in that space so badly right now. Yeah, I definitely agree. Now, Sicily, did you watch White Lotus? <laughs> Matt, so that's the thing I was telling you why I'm under a rock. Oh, you haven't watched it. But, I haven't okay. watched it. That's okay. Well, it's weird because there is no food in the show. There's a little gelato. We talked about it on a recent episode. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful articulation of Sicily. Um, it's just the filmmaking is incredible. Uh, what was it like uh, shooting your book in Sicily and where were you Where were you going? Oh, my goodness. It was, it was really just such a highlight to this book because, you know, you write the book in isolation for the most yeah. part for, you know, a whole year. And then and then we spent uh, a week in Fire Island shooting uh, half of it. And then, and then it was really the photographers, Michael and Nicole, that convinced me 
to go to Sicily because I was living on the West Coast, all the team was on the East Coast. And honestly, like when we crunched the numbers, it was flying them, yeah. you know, that way, putting them up in San Francisco. And Nicole had found this villa and it was just like off the charts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it was my daughter Opal who said, Mum, you can't write a cookbook about pasta and not go to Italy. And I was like, you're right, Opal. Yeah. Opal, good call. Did she, did she get to go? <laughs> no, 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 she didn't. The ki- no kids. There's a no kids trip. This was definitely an adults only trip. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and we had such a great time. And, and I think that that's the other part to the book that I'm really proud of is that it, it, I think you put a team in an environment where everyone is inspired Mm -hmm. and then you don't have to manufacture it. You get Mm -hmm. out of that studio kind of, you know, thing and you, you were just every, and especially because it was after COVID and none of us had really traveled Mm -hmm. and, you know, and it was like a light bulb went off. And I think that that texture and feeling is there in the book you know, the tiles and the stone You can't sinks. fake that in a New York City studio. You have to have it on location. I agree. I do all of my books on location when I can. So I love that. It's one of my favorite parts of the the bookmaking process. Mm-hmm. And, and, and going almost back to the acting stuff, it's what I really enjoy about food writing is that I'm, I'm not – I'm trying to tell a story. I'm trying to think like – when is this person going to be eating this? Mm-hmm. What's going on at the table? Like, who's in love with who? Who's flirting with who? Like, <laughs> you know, like, what? what's the dynamic here? Who's heartbroken? What do they need? When do they need to cook this? Why should they cook this? Or when has someone just had a victory? And I try and, like, navigate that whole ray of emotions that we have in life in each cookbook and... And I love, like, the combination of, like, you've got the written word and then you go and bring this visual bring element it to, life, to it. Yeah. And it's, it's just it's my favorite, favorite part. Odette, we are asking authors to talk about the very last recipe in the book because the last recipe often doesn't get the press. It doesn't get mentioned. The last recipe in Simple Pasta is Gianduia Creme Brulee. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. They say it close enough? Oh, look, you're talking to an Australian who doesn't speak yeah. any languages, so it works for me. Okay, good, <laughs> good, good, good. I, I feel like I'm close enough. So it's a creme brulee. It's the last, it's the last recipe. What, like, let's talk about it. Well, pretty good one. Pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, not an afterthought. How, how did you develop that recipe? Where did that come from? Was that from a travel? Was that from something that you, you knew you had to do a sweet section? You, your first book was obviously about cake. Yeah, yeah. I there. There's only four desserts in this book, and so they had to be top shelf. Yeah. And when I first went to Italy... The, the the chalk hazelnut flavor was one that I just fell in love with. So, mm. you know, I and the way they do it in gelato is phenomenal. And it just stuck with me. And, it, and it's a flavor combination I didn't see a lot outside of Italy, to be honest. And... And I'm a huge creme brulee fan. Mm-hmm. I, I just... any Anything custard. And I was like, well... I don't want to just do the classic creme brulee. We know that. What's an easy, what's an easy hack to that flavor? And and when you buy the the jar of it, it's 
I mean, you can just use Nutella too, but get the good Italian stuff because yeah. it really does, the hazelnuts really come through. You just put a couple of tablespoons in that in your classic creme brulee. So it's really easy. Yeah, it's just really like a hazelnutified easy. creme brulee. Yeah. And it just, it just does something else. It's like the yeah. sesame honey panna cotta in the book. It's like that little little dial that really doesn't take anything else that like sets it apart so make, Love it. make the desserts good simple cake simple pasta so what else can be simplified what else <laughs> like there's a lot but there's definitely categories that can't be simplified but what are you thinking well we just recently bought a place upstate and it has a um and like an open fire um, that I could cook on. And I feel like I could really, I could see simplifying grilling and cooking on open fire. Mm -hmm. I think that would be interesting. But really, if I, if I was to, I mean, look, Matt, there is so much that can be simplified. You know, I mean, I think it's one of the hardest things to do, actually. It's so hard, and you've nailed it. And I think um, pasta is is absolutely one of the most complicated fields in cooking. Yeah. So and I, grilling is there, too. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 there's so much that can be simplified. I really, it's, it's, but if you, if you were to tell me what my, like, you know, like, you let me know, like, oh, if I had no budget, no, Oh, you're, you know. you're skipping to that question? Yeah, is that all right? Yeah, we can skip right to the question. So I'm going to say it out loud. I'm gonna, yeah. You're, 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 you're hinting. We ask all guests in the Taste Podcast, Odette, if you could write a cookbook <laughs> or food culture book about the burden of time, meaning no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have unlimited funds. Mm-hmm. You wanted to get it out so much, you actually started asking the question yourself. Mm-hmm. What would that book be? I would write the best entertaining book you've ever seen. Like I would, no budget, no constraints. I would really go to town on, I have the um, column in the Wall Street Journal Mm -hmm. party trick Mm -hmm. and it's recent. I just started it about six months ago And, and that for me has really opened up a whole other world to me about it's made me realize actually Matt what is my happy place what I love to do which is I love a party I love yeah. to have fun I love to feed friends my husband jokes I'm afraid of being alone with him because <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's always someone in yeah. my house or around or there's yeah. a dinner party or... I'm with you I'm the same way I, it's not because I don't want to be solo but I just I, I love, thrive off the energy of others I'm really, having them up yeah I do and I think when I'm cooking and and drinking and I'm not thinking about my worries. So I'm I'm really present and in the moment. Yeah. And and I do think that there is a, what what my superpower is is that I can hold a conversation, cook at the same time, host. Yeah. And but I know that there's a lot of people that struggle with that. And I would love to share my the way that I do it so that you too can just have so much fun in your life yeah. and really enjoy yourself. And, and if I can give you really simple, delicious, buttoned up recipes, but then if I, that, you know, that you can pull off without breaking a sweat that everyone's going to love. And then also I think visually 
it's really interesting to dive into these visual worlds and how you can also put a meal together for people. Mm -hmm. And just like I did this photo shoot recently, it's coming out in January and it's all about bread. My father, Mm. my father's family were bakers of bread and, and I use bread as the decoration on the table because I think the loaves are so beautiful. And I think that there's really creative, economical things that you can do that can really transform Mm -hmm. like an evening, you know, like put a candle in a loaf of bread, call it a day. Very fun. I'm hearing simple grilling. I'm hearing simple bread. I'm hearing simple party. Always. Always. (laughs) Odette Williams, thank you for joining the Taste Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. Eliza, we are back with three things. I'm ready. Let, let's talk about our three things. What's your first three thing? Okay. Masala Wall and Sons. I've been wanting to go there, Matt. What was the best thing that you had? Well, you know what? It's 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 hard to say. Um, I had the vadas, which are like little like spoons of um, of like sweet and sour um, yogurty. Um, puffs of yum. I mean, I, I honestly just said puffs of yum on a podcast, which I can't believe I just said that. That's our new podcast name. Yeah, puff, puffs of yum. Wow, I can't believe I said that. I guess I was channeling my mother there, but um, I couldn't. Ex- Avadas are hard to explain because they're very. Um, it's a texture and, and temperature that I'm not quite like used to every day. But um, I loved those. Um, what I really liked the most, two things. The service is great extremely knowledgeable but not showing off hard to do mm-hmm. hard to do because they have power and like people are prideful and they've put in the work to understand the food but sometimes they over explain because they want to either like be prideful or are getting listened to by their manager or whatever um not the case here i think his name was jeremy he was amazing he explained a lot it was very lengthy the explanation of the concept and the explanation that the Bengali cuisine that they're doing there, and and the the chef and owners have several restaurants in uh, in New York. That the the place that won the James Beard Award last year. What's the what's the one that Ada? No, not no, not Damaka. Damaka. Damaka is their main like flagship. Um, and I've not been there. It's quite good, and I also really like uh, they do like a Indian fried chicken place up in the East Village called Rowdy Rooster. Yeah, that is very good. Definitely the chicken and the other the, the other dish I loved. Um, well, I love the chicken, the lollipops. It was like a like cardamom sauce, quite spicy. They did tiger prawns in a coconut shell, mm-hmm. and it was like they were like scooping out the coconut meat with the tiger prawns with this like very nice sauce that was like sour. Loved it. It was so good, and we dipped in. These uh, these breads that were kind of like Parker House rolls that were in they were basically half ghee and half roll. There was that's how much butter was on them. Amazing. I'm so hungry thinking about it's that. It's so good. What's your what's your what are your three things? I'm gonna give you another Park Slope thing while we're talking about the neighborhood, which is Reyes Grocery um, does really great tacos. Just in addition to being a bodega, but on the weekends they have tamales, which I found out recently wow. as I was just in that area seeing a friend, and I got a chicken mole one that. Chicken mole is like my comfort food. So I really liked that one. And then also a salsa verde that was really good. Um, and when I was there at 2 p.m., they were almost all sold out. So I think it might be more of a morning thing to beat mm-hmm. the tamales crowd. But definitely recommend going there. That's so cool. The uh, a tamale, that's like a 
holiday season dish for some folks, right? Yeah, people definitely make tamales um, as part of like a Christmas thing. But, you know, they're also just like a part of of daily life for sure. Um, And I think that like it's kind of nice whenever a place has a weekend offering uh, and I'm around there for the weekend, I get extra excited and I go out of my way to go there. So now that I know that they have tamales on the weekends, if I'm in the area, I'm definitely making a beeline. Yeah. Mexican food in New York absolutely essential to the city yes it's really um, good essential to the city essential to my life yeah so that's why it's my Definitely. first thing yeah yeah <laughs> what's your second thing well i got an advanced copy of jay ryan stradell's new novel saturday night at the lakeside supper club um do you know this author do you know jay ryan no but i'm always looking for new books he's great he used to be taste fiction editor we used to run a lot of fiction here back in 2017 and 2018 wow it was great. Like, we're going to bring it back at some point. I It is an absolute goal of mine. Anna and I love doing um, those fiction and issues. And yeah. we did a great event with 826 um, back in L.A., in L.A., um, with Jay Ryan and uh, when we launched the fiction section. But I, I've always been a fan of his work. He wrote a book called The Kitchens of the Great Midwest. That was his first debut novel. It hit the New York Times bestseller list and a really great book. Now, I love Jay Ryan, and he's, he's classic Jay Ryan in this book, which is a third in a series of books that kind of intertwine the communities of the upper Midwest, mostly Minnesota. Um, I love the way he writes with like serious empathy. Like the characters are um, are not like the snarky one or the kind one. They're multidimensional, but they always have empathy. There's always um, a character to you just like really feel like they, they're superhuman. And the reason I'm talking about this book now and J. Ryan is that he is a a food writer at heart. I mean, his books are based around many elements of Midwestern food. Um, and this one in particular is based around a traditional Minnesota supper club. Mm. I've been to like a Wisconsin supper club yeah. before. Is it a similar approach? Yes, definitely. It's it's similar in that, um, you know, fish fry on Fridays and also a very great old fashioned scene. Like that's like that's the drink of choice in this book and in many of the supper clubs that I've been to in Wisconsin and, and Minnesota, and um, the book uh, spans generations and and there's a real comment about um, fast food and the fast food industrial complex of our country and the shuttering of family businesses. It's really cool and I, it's out in uh, I believe in the spring, I think April. Um, and I'm hoping J. Ryan will join the Taste Podcast, but I just love getting an early look at that book. Yeah, it sounds like a great book. I'll have to add it to my very long yeah. stack of library books. So many books. <laughs> Liza, what is your second thing? My second thing is just uh, the fact that I've been eating a lot of winter citrus lately, um, which is generally my coping mechanism for the cold months and specifically been making a lot of very simple citrus salads. So I just ah. want to encourage everybody that if you have a lot of oranges or you want to be eating more of them, I think a really nice way to prepare them is to peel them. You don't have to do it too perfect, but like none of the pith on it. Slice it really thin and then just drizzle good olive oil and flaky salt on top. And you could stop there or you could have labna beneath it or you could do chili on top, which I always do. You could add herbs. But I think that something about the kind of fatty, savory, good olive oil with the tangy orange and the salt is just really satisfying and it feels very fancy even though it takes basically no time and effort got a couple questions do you know how to supreme do you supreme i know how in theory but it's not normally something that i bother with and i think that if you just 
I do think I'm quite good at peeling oranges. Yeah. Not to brag, but I, I think <laughs> I've done it a lot. I eat. I have an orange tattoo. Like it's a big part of um, my food group. Yeah. So I normally just peel them as best as I can and slice them up. Now, when you apply the olive oil, do you have to serve it like right away, or can you leave that out for a while? What's What's kind of the move? Because I've always I've kind of have a, a couple thoughts on that. Hmm. Um. I have never waited. I've always been like, I'm hungry. This is what I want to eat. Yeah. And I go for it. But I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. The thoughts are that I always wait and it's bad. That's my <laughs> thought. My thought is like, don't wait. Because if you add too much olive oil and it soaks in, it becomes very liquidy and is not great. So I think like if you're doing it for brunch, yeah, um, make sure you like serve it on an individual plate to each of your guests as opposed to putting in a bowl because that bowl will get kind of nasty with all the olive oil. I've tried. I love I love putting heat onto citrus too, like chili flakes. I think that's great. I have tahini in my bag right now. Like I do really <laughs> put that on everything. Yeah. Also, I don't use a bowl. Maybe that's one of the issues is I like to use like a platter or a shallow bowl or a plate and just drizzle the olive oil, kind of just a slick of it on yeah. top. And you can maybe see it pooling beneath, but it's not a heavy dressing in the same way that I would dress a salad. It really is just kind of a glaze. Love that. Yeah. Very cool. And, you know, Jeju Island is known for citrus, like tangerines, and they have, uh, in Korea, have many citrus salads on the menus. So. Ooh, I love to hear that. Very cool. Nice Wh- one. What's up for you? Um, my last thing is um, a little place called Puerto Rico. Ooh, I went love there. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico's great. I just wanted to bring it up very briefly that um, I went there. I never really get to go to like warm places in the cold. I, I, it's not really part of my my track, but I had a great time. And I have to really shout out the west coast of Puerto Rico, Rincon and Aguadilla. Like that is a great place to go for surfing. Um, it's a very famous surf spot, but I have to like shout out like that is a great place if you live on the east coast and you want a quick trip, no passport required affordable, incredible food. Like really, I, I had a several pieces of, of smoked meat, mm. roasted meat. And lechon. Was, lechon was there. It was so great. And um, I think you're going to find out that Puerto Rico is your next destination, actually. Yeah, I've been to San Juan before. I have some yeah. family there and I really loved it. And obviously, um, lechon and pork is a big part of Puerto Rican food, but there's also a really interesting movement of plant-based restaurants that are based there Definitely. that are really trying to cultivate um, local farming, which is a huge um, political and cultural issue in Puerto Rico. So I think um, that's another cool thing when you're traveling is to seek out these vegan plant-based restaurants because they're doing a lot of great stuff with um, some really cool local heritage produce. I agree. We went to a a plant-based restaurant and I loved it. It was called uh, Pasiflora Vegan Cuisine. um, And I loved it. It was, to your point, um, there is a really uh, movement. It's like a political movement almost about plant-based eating in, in the island with awareness of, of natural resources and, and climate change. Um, and it was, I had, um, I had like, they called it like nachos, but they, they, it was really smart. I was actually thinking about bringing it up in an edit meeting about uh, recipe development because nachos change when you're not really focusing on the cheese, but you're focusing on the salsas. Hmm. Um, but there is a heat and bean element to it too. So it's like warm, like bean and like kind of a, a mango tropical fruit style sauce on it. It was really good. That sounds great. Yeah, with like a like kind of a salty faux cheese on top. It really worked well for me. Yeah. So vegan nachos shouts. What's your last of three? Okay, well, tell me if this is 
too offbeat, but after talking about oranges and our conversation, I read a, a short poem that I kind of want to have be my third thing. A if, poem? Yeah, can I read a lot of poems? Yeah, please read the poem. <laughs> it's not by me. It's by Wendy Cope, and it's called The Orange. At lunchtime, I bought a huge orange. The size of it made us all laugh. I peeled it and shared it with Robert and Dave. They got quarters, and I had a half. And that orange, it made me so happy, as ordinary things often do. Just lately, the shopping, a walk in the park. This is peace and contentment. It's new. The rest of the day was quite easy. I did all the jobs on my list and enjoyed them and had some time over. I love you. I'm glad I exist. I love that. Thanks for sharing. I love that. It's great to end with a poem. I figured we could do a little poetry hour to to close it out, and I hope that... um, the next time you peel an orange, you think of that. I love that. Thanks a lot. Great chatting with you, Eliza. Thank you. The Taste Podcast is hosted by me, Matt Rodbard. It's produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste Online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>